So I appreciate you coming by the, the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, so I, you've, I was going through your LinkedIn page the other night, just looking through a, the stuff you've done. You've done a lot of stuff and a lot of very different stuff, including the project you're working on right now, which I know we want to talk about a little bit later. I'm curious, how do you introduce yourself to someone you've not met? Because you're, you're an, an investor, an entrepreneur, a web, web guy, marketing guy. Now you're a writer. You, how do you, and like, if you had to quickly introduce yourself, how do you do that? I, I guess it's like when the government asks on the forum, I just say entrepreneur or <laughs> businessman. See, I would, I, I'm, I'm, chug, I'm, I could say, I guess I, I started one business, but I always have a hard time spelling that. So I would need to come up with a different <laughs> entrepreneur is one of those words I never, Same. I could never get. Same. Yeah. I'm terrible at spelling. It's a weakness. Yeah. So, I mean, so walk me through, like you, you started at, you know, you're a Lansing guy, grew up in Holt, right? Holt High School. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so, and I think you've, your, your name is now kind of synonymous with two major organizations, companies, businesses in the community that I think most people have heard of, Liquid Web and, and Saddleback, but maybe don't know you. So like, walk us through quick. What's the Travis story? Oh, I, I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, so I've, Always been interested in business. When I was, uh, I think, 12 years old, I started a roller roller hockey league in my neighborhood. Had dues and everything, and it was my first little <laughs> business. Uh, and then had a paper route. And it, back in Holt, I grew up next door to Matthew Hill that ended okay. up founding Liquid Web. Um, so we actually go back. Our families were best friends since we were like two years old. Um, we literally were next door to each other across corners. So Matt and I had known each other for a long time. Um, I got into, um, playing music. I was in really bad punk rock bands in high school. <laughs> Terrible. I would look at you right now and think that guy was in a punk rock band. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. That's what everybody says. Um, and, uh, oh, and, um, one of my other businesses was me and two friends convinced our, uh, friend's family to let us take this old barn in their backyard and convert it into a music venue, a concert venue um, that ended up getting shut down by the zoning board <laughs> in Holt. Uh, thanks, Rick Royston. Uh, boy, I should probably bleep that. Um, but um, yeah, so I went to school at LCC. Um, I believe the guidance counselors, you should go and do what you love. So I got a degree in audio and video recording, media technology, I think is what it was called. I graduated from there and was doing audio board operating. So I know what you're doing here. <laughs> Maybe. And then I worked at WILX. Okay. I did the audio board, floor directing, um, production assistant, ended up moving to master control. I think I was the youngest UAW union steward at the time. And we, we picketed for $6.96 an hour was what we ended up getting. Um, so knew I needed to do something else. Ended up getting into TV advertising. Um, worked at Big George's Home Appliance Mart to, to learn sales for a little while. Um, then somehow stumbled into this place called TechSmith. When I interviewed there, I literally didn't know if I was applying to be a janitor or a salesperson. Um, I was just doing everything I could. Um, actually, I missed a part. When I was selling TV ads, they approached me about starting my own company to do the video in commercial production there. So I pleaded with my parents to get a $10,000 loan to start up my first business, bought this computer and this uh, camera and ended up the day that I signed the contract, 
like a day later, they got bought out by Comcast. So oh lost, lost my job, lost the only contract for the business, had no clients and was just doing everything I could to not go bankrupt. I was installing cable and cleaning toilets and doing anything I could to make money and ended up stumbling into this amazing place called TechSmith. Did a stint there doing software, mm-hmm. ended up doing a partnership with Liquid Web when I was there. Okay. And that's when I kind of reunited with Matt Hill because we hadn't seen each other in a, in a few years. And at that time, he was moving his servers from the east coast of the country um, and actually starting the first data centers here in Lansing. And he had just hired my close friend, Chris Strand. And he asked me to come on and really start growing and scaling the company. At that point, it really was just him and customer service people. So what is what does Liquid Web do? Liquid Web is uh, the other side of the internet, is what Matt used to always say. So any website that you go to, it's hosted on a server that's in a data center somewhere. And we hosted at the end like three to five million websites, uh, depending on how you counted them. We were... Um, basically just a bunch of servers that we managed. We had a bunch of staff that would go and fix everything on them. And we hosted websites, everything from um, Death Road Records uh, website for a while to um, blingy.com to all these different websites, some GM stuff, all sorts of stuff. So what is the, you you were the marketing, that was one of your titles. I'm curious, how do you go and, and sell that? Like, what do you, as a web hosting company, how do you say we're better? We're a better web hosting company than this web ho- hosting company. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. That was the first thing that I had to do. So I went. The first thing I did was surveyed all of the employees and asked, "Why do people buy from you when they can literally get this same thing for free?" And people kept coming back and saying, "Well, we have better customer support." So at the time, that kind of the standard in web hosting was if you wrote an email to your web host. And they got back to you in two days. Like, that was amazing. And we actually had people that would answer the phone and we would respond to emails within 24 hours. So we took the initiative, um, me and Jer Hill and Matt and uh, Greg and Chris, we branded heroic support. And so I believe that you can only own one concept if you're lucky in a customer's mind. So we put everything around heroic support and then we kept delivering on that promise. So at the end, we even got to the point where... Um, if you gave us a call and we didn't answer in 59 seconds, we'd start paying you back money. Um, we just kept fulfilling the promise of we have better support than anybody else in the industry. Okay. And that's what allowed us to grow uh, really, really fast. I mean, it, it was insane. When I started, it was like 20 employees, I think around a million in revenue. Um, and by the time we sold, like 10 years later, it was 80 million in annual recurring revenue. And we had 480 employees. And Three data centers in Lansing, one in Amsterdam, one in Scottsdale, an office in Ann Arbor, and just it was pretty big. And then we sold to private equity in 2015. Okay, so I was I'm dying to know. So you you had and I won't say the number. If you want to say the number, you can say the number. But so you sold you sold Liquid Web in, in 2015, 224 million. Okay, and we you, can only say that, say that because <laughs> we got sued and they put the number in there. They held us okay. all to a confidentiality agreement. But as soon as we came public. Um, so yeah. So you, what is the first thing you and your buddies did your co when you walked out of that room after signing that deal for $224 million? Went to the university club (laughs) with my friend, Joe Mays, Chris Strand, my wife now, and, um, hung out by the pool. 
Okay. The same thing we had done before. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't do really anything different. The only thing that I ever wanted in life was my parents were living the Michigan dream. They had a motorhome and family had a cottage up on Peach Lake in West Branch. So going to a lake, living by a lake was all I ever wanted. So bought a house on Lake Lansing and um, and then later got the Tesla. But really, uh, the, the as, as everybody will tell you, you know, once a certain point, like money really doesn't change your life all that much. You know, they've done these amazing studies where they look at people that win the lottery. Mm-hmm. And basically, after a year, whether you lose all your money and after a year or you make a huge amount of money. After a year, everybody pretty much goes back to the same happiness. Like if you're a naturally happy person and you appreciate life, you're going to be pretty happy. Money really doesn't change that. Now, of course, admittedly, it's totally um, uh, strange for me to say that as somebody with means. So I I appreciate the fact that, you know, everybody can say, man, he's an idiot for saying that. <laughs> but yeah. that, that allowed you to kind of get into this next phase, which is investing in stuff. Yeah. And, and Saddleback, right? Yeah, that's right. So it actually happened before the the broker that we used to sell Liquid Web said that it was going to be two months to sell. And it ended up being like, uh, I think, six to eight months. It was a lot longer process. And um, I was under a confidentiality and we didn't want it to get out. So literally my wife and my dad knew about it. And it was a difficult time because we were running the company and then at moonlighting or during the day, selling it at University Club with code names and, um, and it was tough. So I knew that I was going to be done, uh, cause I knew I wasn't going to work with the company that had purchased it. Um, and, uh, we were engaged to be married. We were at an event called the launch celebration of entrepreneurship that was put on here locally by Nick Chalenko and Jason Myers. And Matt Gillette was at Dusty's at the time and had gotten a smoker and he was doing the food okay. and he, uh, he did an amazing job. And my my fiance at the time came up and said, why don't we use Matt to do our wedding? And we ended up going out to Dublin Square where, where you do these kind of things. And he said, yeah, you know, I'd really like to start this thing. And I'd gotten into a habit at that time of, well, if you're really serious about this, send me a business plan. And Matt did like mm-hmm. the next day. And I think it was like six weeks or eight weeks later, we had the first restaurant open. And at that time, as many people know, I had three rules of investing, no bars, no restaurants, nothing you don't understand. <laughs> Knocked out all three on the first one. <laughs> and it, uh, People also, understand barbecue, though. Yeah. Or you mean you don't, I, understand, you don't understand food. I, I know nothing <laughs> about food. Even to this day, it's, it's, I don't know much. Uh, so it, it, that's all Matt Gillett. And I just try to help uh, as much as I can. And when was that? When did when did Saddleback? June 2015. Okay. Um, so we actually opened before we sold Liquid Web, and people were super confused. Like, why is he starting a restaurant if he's got this other thing going on? Um, and then a few weeks later, we made the announcement that we had sold Liquid Web. Cool. So talk about going into a business that you don't know anything about. Did you just say, okay, Matt, you just take care of it? Or, I mean, it doesn't sound like you're the kind of guy that, that would do that, but like- yeah. How does that work? Uh, it, it was similar to that. I I told Matt from the beginning, like, these are very difficult businesses. You're going into Rio Town, which if anybody remembers Rio Town at that time, there wasn't mm-hmm. much there. You know, we've been fortunate Artisan and Blue Owl and and um, a lot of those places have moved in since. But at the time, it was a very challenged area. Uh, I I mean, I thought it was bad. I, I told Matt that I was giving him this money 
And if the if it came back to me, that'd be amazing. But I did not expect that we'd be eight years into it being profitable every year. Um, that was and having two years of COVID in there too. Didn't expect any of this. Um, but yeah, I, I basically, if I have a skill in this world, which that's debatable, I think it's scaling businesses and marketing. So I just tried to tell Matt's story. It, it was really just me. And I feel like I did that with both my Matt's, Matt Hill and Jillett. Mm-hmm. Um, I just tried to say what they say naturally because they're the experts and try to communicate that to the world and try to encapsulate it and translate it for the way other people can understand it. Um, because any people that are as smart as Matt Hill and Matt Gillett are, um, sometimes it's hard for people that are not as talented in those areas to understand what they're talking about. And I try to communicate it for them and translate it, which I think is what you guys do. Really? It is. Yeah. We try. Yeah. <laughs> I know Laura had some questions about I did. You're a fan. So, I mean, I am a fan. I mean, the food is delicious, but oh, thank you know. You. I I know that's all you you're doing right. <laughs> that's me. Um, but I would say beyond that, I mean, I, I'm a I'm a Lansing kid since college, and Saddleback is just everywhere in the community. And it's it's not typical that you see a business that chooses to get so involved in other things. So between the paying off the school lunch debt and you know, helping the other businesses who had you know break-ins and other things like that, Thank like you. I feel like you guys have created this community, you know, among restaurants that didn't really exist before. Can you kind of talk about that? Yeah. So it, it it's odd. I, I think one of the things that troubles me about people is that sometimes I get concerned that they can't change. And I've always been concerned about that with myself. So I really actively try to push myself to change. I used to com- be completely against charity. I, I think one of my Facebook profile, uh, like the caption or the about was like, uh, charity degrades and that really I I'm a I'm a staunch capitalist and I believe that capitalism is the greatest thing that we've ever done in humanity even though it has many flaws to lift more people out of poverty than any system that we've ever created in the history of the the world and hopefully there's a better one but so far this is the greatest so this is this was all brand new for me and how it all started was uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, when it was so uncertain what was going to happen, they uh, uh, there was the choice to close the schools. And one of the um, good newspapers wrote an article, and it said something like 800,000 to 900,000 kids just in Michigan rely on the free and reduced lunch program in Michigan. And it it blew me away. It's like, we only have 10 million people. So it's like, that that was a staggering number that relied on that. And then it was like, well, what are they going to do now that the schools are closed? Where are they going to get those? Where are the kids going to get those meals? So as I do, I'm having this, uh, you know, kind of whimsical conversation with Matt. like, And he just says, well, why don't we feed them? And that's literally how it started. So we made a silly post saying, hey, I know, it, you know, people are struggling right now. If anybody has a kid, you can bring them in. And if you bring them in, we'll feed a kid for free. We posted that. And then amazingly, our Facebook fans were like, well, how can I help with that? So then we kind of brainstorm, well, what if we match it? So if you give us five bucks, uh, we'll feed a kid and then uh, with that money, and then we'll also step up and we'll feed a kid. And that's how it all started. Then we had like two, 2,000 something donations ended up coming in. Um, not the number, like that was the number of kids that we needed to mm-hmm. feed. Then all of a sudden it was like, 
I don't know 2000 kids. I have no idea how to give these meals out. So then my mother-in-law, Dawn Blakesley, referred me to Trinity Church. We ended up getting tapped into them. And then it ended up being this thing where like every two or three months we were giving away 200, 400, 500 meals where it got to the point where we were coming into some communities, the Trinity Church people who are delivering them were coming into these communities and kids are running out of the apartment complexes, <laughs> like all excited. And it was amazing. It was one of the coolest things that I've ever been a part of. Um, one of the, the most meaningful thing that I've ever done with Saddleback for sure. And then that just led to, well, what can we do next? What can we do next? And admittedly, there was, we were all just like looking out for our neighbors, like what is going to happen here? Mm -hmm. Like how, all these businesses are closed. Downtown is a desert right now. These people have to still, these business owners still have to pay their, their rent. Uh, and so we just tried to help as much as we could. And then one thing led to the next and none of it was premeditated. So you brought up the other one just to give that story um, of the pain off the student lunch debt. I woke up, turned on the news. It was like a Sunday morning. And a barbecue place in the Flint area had paid off student lunch debt. And I said, what the hell is student lunch debt? I'd never heard of it at all. And so I reached out to two teacher friends, one in Holt um, and actually both in Holt. And they said, yeah, that's when a kid can't pay and we don't have them go without a meal, but it goes on their balance and we hold that up. And then sometimes at the end of the year, some families can't pay it. And this debt kind of accumulates over time. And I'm like, I had no idea that that even existed. And I reached out to Holt. I'm like, I'd like to pay it off. And they're like, well, we don't actually have any, but Mason does. Uh, sent a message to the principal at Mason. They got back to me and said, hey, it's like 1500 bucks. And I, I was literally personally just going to go and head out there and write the check. Reached out to Matt Gillett, the founder of uh, Saddleback. And he went to Mason and he said, no, let's, let's do that through Saddleback. I want to be involved too. And so we went out there and again, the teachers, like this is still kind of during COVID too, is like getting a little better. The teachers come out of the rooms, like when I'm coming in, I'm just dropping off a check. That was all I thought I was doing. And they wanted to take a picture and they, they gave me a Mason Bulldog mask and they took a picture of it. And, and then that kind of went viral. And then that led to, okay, I'll tell the bad part of that. <laughs> it led to people saying, oh, they're, they're exploiting a situation. Oh, they didn't do enough. All of this stuff. And so then we're like, well, this is silly. Like, that's ridiculous. And one of the, the conflicts in this stuff is there is a, a, an understandable view that you shouldn't talk about your giving, that it is boastful or braggadocious or you're only doing it for that. You know, mm -hmm. it's just marketing because we see so much of it. You know, we, we see so many companies that, just attach their name to something and they're not really making a meaningful impact. You know, they, they literally do a hundred billion in sales, but this, you know, million dollars that they give over here is what we're supposed to care about. And that's all they advertise. So I completely get it. People thought that it was gross for us to talk about it, but we did it and we were open about why we did that. We did it because we wanted to inspire others that first the student lunch debt existed that I didn't even know about. Mm -hmm. And that they can do these things, that they can have a meaningful impact with a small business. And yes, if it ends up that customers support them because of that, isn't that what we all want? 
Because we have this paradox right now where people say, I only want to support businesses that do well by the community. I only want to support small businesses that actually help and give back. But paradoxically, I also don't want you to talk about it. <laughs> well, that does that, those right. two things can't coexist. Like, well, how do you know if the business is doing it then? You can't support them if they don't talk about it. Um, so because of that, we ended up saying like, look, this is how you can do it. And I surveyed all of the school districts in the area and said like, hey, this is how much they have. And then Spear Electric uh, stepped up. Uh, David Hunt stepped up that owns big boy restaurants. And then tons of other businesses all stepped up. We ended up paying off like eight school districts in the area That's student awesome. lunch debt. And it, so it, it again, it was just like one thing after the next. We never expected to do any of this. It was just it, the snowball just kept rolling. And then people kept coming out of the woodwork saying, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? And they're all great ideas. You've always been as a, as a Saddleback company, you and Matt, and I don't know if it's you or if it's Matt or a combination of both of you, excuse me, very open and transparent on social, using social media Appreciate to that. talk about the reasons why you do X, Y, and Z. And I, sometimes it gets a lot of very good feedback and sometimes you get negative pushback. I'm curious, is that... Did you go into that intentionally? Like we are going to be transparent like this on an intentional basis, or is it just who the two of you are and it was just natural? Yeah, I, I think it's it, not that Matt's not transparent, but I think Matt gets a little bit more uncomfortable with it. And, but for me, it's super important. It's been that way back to Liquid Web and back back to my childhood. Like um, being transparent and open and really I'm in an as anybody, especially my wife that knows me, will say, I'm skeptical. So anytime somebody says, oh, I'm doing this, eh, really, are you? <laughs> you know, let me see what you actually did. Mm -hmm. So I expect people to be just as skeptical of us. When we say we're going to do something, we actually show the exact checked amount. We say exactly where it went, what school district, who we talked to. And we think that's incredibly important because it builds trust with people that we're actually using their money uh, appropriately. And that's super important to me. So when I asked, when I emailed you a couple of weeks ago about this, um, I didn't even know about this other project you were working on. Uh, I wanted to talk about the Saddleback stuff, but you came back and said, that's fine, that's all good, but I'm working on this project called the, the Year of Opposite. And I'd really love to talk about that. I, I know Steph has some questions yeah. about that, but what yeah. what is the Year of Opposite? So... I had in February of 2022, my one of my best friends from college, uh, Joe St. Clair, uh, died um, from com complications with alcohol abuse. And um, it was the first person that died unexpectedly in my life. You know, I'd had grandparents and stuff, but it was, you know, they had a long, good life and I was able to cope with that a bit better. And I didn't cope with Joe's death very well. The other thing, it was during COVID, we couldn't see him. The hospitals are closed. So that kind of added to it. But I really think it was just, it was my first experience with grief. Um, and then uh, five months later, Matthew Hill, my best friend growing up from the founder of Liquid Web, he died of a heart attack uh, in his LA house. And that hit me really hard. <clears throat> and then 10 days after that, Tyler Blakesley, who is... And it was an incredible teacher um, in the Lansing School District, was my wife's cousin, the officiant in our wedding, a friend of mine, and somebody that I had I had loved his bands before I was even a part of the family. 
um, and before I knew him. So I had these three deaths and I got hit with depression for the first time in my life. And I kept waking up sad and I, it was very unlike me. And I was really burdening my wife with like, why aren't you able to help me with this? And it was just doing, it was the definition of insanity. I was just doing the same thing over and over again. So I came across that speech by the general that's the just wake up and make your bed. And I just started doing that. Like, well, I had always been uh, not a morning person, like sleeping pretty late. So I just decided, nope, I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to make my bed. Uh, and then that led into a bunch of other things. I'm going to I gave up drinking. I started working out a lot. I ended up losing a bunch of weight. And then I'm a big fan of Seinfeld. And there's George Costanza yep. has his if his epiphany that everything he's doing in life is wrong. So he does the opposite <laughs> and everything ends up working out better. So I'm like, well, I'll try that. Uh, George, you know, that woman just looked at you. So what? What am I supposed to do? Go talk to her. Elaine. Bald men with no jobs and no money who live with their parents don't approach strange women. Well, here's your chance to try the opposite. Instead of tuna salad and being intimidated by women, chicken salad and going right up to them. Yeah, I should do the opposite. I should. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. Yes, I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day. So now I will do the opposite and I will do something. So then it just led to, I've never golfed. I went golfing, you know, I went. That's where I would lose you because I would, maybe I should just stop doing that. That should be my lesson. <laughs> I, I should just stop golfing. Yeah, 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 you're the opposite. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so then it just led into all of these other things and at the conclusion of my year of the opposite, I had to make a decision. Was I going to go back to the old ways um, or not? And I decided, no, that I'm just going to keep challenging myself, hopefully every year and change that challenge. So now I've challenged myself to write and publish every single week. And so I publish a uh, year of the opposite on Substack. I have a little podcast that's not really a podcast. It's really just my writing in a podcast. And that's what the year of the opposite is. It's just doing the opposite of what I had done all my life and push myself, challenge myself to change. Was there anything at the end of the year that you thought, oh yeah, I'm going back to do that again. I've, mm -hmm. I've really missed this for the last year and I can't wait to do it. I can't wait to bring this back. Or was it, was it all just so habit forming that by the time you got done, it was like, this is who I am now. I don't think there was anything that I like went back to. Um, I mean, a bunch of things didn't change, right? Like I love reading. I didn't mm -hmm. stop reading. Uh, so it wasn't like every single thing changed. You know, I, I didn't, you know, stop wearing clothes or like, like, it's like I didn't change everything, but so it's really just the things that were part of kind of my, kind of my identity at the time I really changed. And no, I didn't go back to any of them really. I have like tried drinking. So like we were in Nashville, so I, I drank there and, um, it was a blast, but like just, no, I don't think I'm going to go back to yeah the casual drinks anymore. So how often did it take for these things to become habits? Like how often did you want to revert and say, I really feel like sleeping in today? Um, I, so there are times that I do that and uh, I track everything now. So I, I use the Way of Life app. So every I track myself on like 30 different metrics, uh, waking up, how I am as a father, um, if I 
drank, if I ate well, if I exercised, I, I, every night I do that and I journal every night. So there are things that, um, that I fail on sometimes. Um, and I track that. Uh, so for instance, I was always awful at flossing. So every six months I'd get scolded. And now I floss 51% of the time. So (laughs) that's a win. Yeah. Yeah. It's like every other day. That's way better than I would ever expect it. And I think this six month period, I'll do even better. I think I'm hitting 100%. Does your dentist actually notice? Oh, that's a great question. question. (laughs) So I think, well, I don't want to give it away because the dentist might hear this, but. Yeah, I, I'm not sure about that because they also gave me this m- mouth guard because they think that I grind my teeth when I sleep. But I don't think I do that. Mm-hmm. But every time they ask me, did you wear your mouth guard at the beginning of it? Uh-huh. So this time I'm not going to tell them. Right. I'm say, you figure it out. <laughs> you tell me, you did tell I? Me, did I? <laughs> and then I'll be not able sure. to say, hey, here it is. No, actually, mm-hmm. I, yeah. Um, I don't know. Because I'm a horrible flosser, but I've never, you know tried to be good and they always ask like have you been good with your flossing i'm like no i haven't like yeah. I'm, I'm honest but i feel like they'd probably just be picking at my teeth the same amount no matter I what i mean i'm right? pretty sure my mom's a hygienist i'm pretty sure they can tell because if you, you don't floss you bleed like crazy when they floss you. yeah they, does it cut down on the picking oh no okay that's different so i should just not <laughs> floss as no well. I, I mean it your gums. You heard it here first from a hygienist daughter. You <laughs> I mean, my Flossing mom. My joke. mom would be horrified, but yeah, I'm a terrible flosser too. Like, yeah. No, they always ask me like, "Do you want the actual floss or do you want those little handle things?" I'm like, "It doesn't matter. Just, <laughs> just stick it in my bag." And it's, I have a pile of 800 of whatever you gave me on this time. Yeah. Just sitting in my drawer. Right. The bags just accumulate. They don't yeah. get touched. Dyke used to always get. My husband used to get the. Um, they call them. I love to say this. Interdental wood stick. What? Yeah, they're like little, like triangular toothpicky things, and you use those instead of floss. And I don't actually use them, but I like to say intradental wood stick. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds like very fancy. Yeah. Never heard of that. My dad carries those with him. They come in that little pack and they yeah. break off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad carries those with him all the time. Yeah. <laughs> He's always got them in his everywhere. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um. Oh, but sorry uh, to sidetrack. I'm, uh, building yeah. the habit. Um. I love the book Atomic Habit. And mm-hmm. it, it mm-hmm. talks about building habits. Um, there are a bunch of different concepts that I'm sure I'm going to mess up, but like habit stacking is one of them. So if you have a habit that you do, so for mine, it was like, I brush my teeth. Well, now I'm going to stack the habit of flossing right after that. And so I stack that habit on the making the bed. So I do it in that order. And then, so it's, you get these things, then making it easy and repeatable so like actually having the floss out so you can see it. So it's ready to go. So it reminds you where there are these triggers. The Atomic Habit is a great book for forming habits. I highly re- recommend that book. What has the feed- feedback been to the year of opposite? Did people think, what are you doing, man? Or were they like, that's cool from the beginning? Or did it take some time? Or what, what's, what have your friends and family all thought? Uh, it, it's been, the result has been overwhelmingly positive. You know, I... I lost 62 pounds from my peak. I was very unhealthy. I was on multiple medications. I had high blood pressure, high triglycerides, high cholesterol. Uh, every once in a while, I had heavy rosacea. This isn't rosacea. This is just sunburn, <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I think. And I was able to clear all that up, and everybody loved that. So now I'm not on any pills, and that's because the doctor said I could, not just because I went off them. Um, I will say there was some people that were really worried. I mean, they thought that I was going through 
they thought that I was losing my mind. I think some people mm-hmm. like you're changing everything. Like I, I started running barefoot. I did seven mile barefoot run and people were really concerned about that. They thought I was going to hurt myself. Um, I was pushing did myself. Did you not hurt yourself? I didn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's good for you. Yeah. Well, it's, well, it's before good for or after you, you right. lost the 62 pounds. Because that would, that would hurt way, my feet. This, this was how I got to love running. Uh, so I wanted to. Well, this was another one. It's like, like people if I like. run a little bit, I'll be able to put, wear shoes next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, we should talk about this. Um, but I wanted to swim across the lake. We live on Lake Lansing. And Matt Gillett used to live directly across from us. And it's uh, just under a mile across, I think like 0.8, so quite a bit under a mile, I guess. And so I swam across it. That that concerned people too. Like I, <laughs> I just I just did it. I never trained. I didn't do anything. Concerned the neighbor too that ran out and screaming at me like, what are you doing? Are you okay? And um, But I was okay. And I ended up, this was a couple of days after Matt Hill died. And I got up on Matt Gillett's porch, my other Matt. And I knew I was about to cry and I was waiting for him and I was really uh, depressed over Matt Hill. And uh, I thought back to when Matt Hill, when we used to play hockey in the streets growing up, Matt would never wear shoes and his feet were just like rocks. And I didn't want Matt Gillett's kids to see me cry. And I just took off running barefoot and ran the two miles home. And that's kind of how it started. And that's what that's where my love of running grew out of. That was the first time that I had run that far. Hmm. So are, do you have any thoughts about, I mean, my first thought when I saw your sub stack and looked at all of that was that's all sitting there waiting to be monetized. Are you going to write a book? Are you going to um, maybe put together a toolkit so somebody else can follow in your steps? Oh, uh, the book's a great idea. I um, I hadn't really thought that far ahead. I did um, because I, again, I'm a heartless capitalist. Like I did offer the paid subscriptions, but it was more, and, and I was clear about this. Uh, it was more, if you want me to keep doing this, like this is, this will make me keep doing it. Cause now I'll have your $8 and think, well, <laughs> you paid me for this. So now I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And you know, 25 people or something, um, which, you know, my mom is one of them. So it's not, <laughs> you know, it's, it's and, and she's been incredibly uh, gracious with her support of everything that I've tried as, um, you know, parents do, but I have monetized it, I guess, but it's, you know, it doesn't compare to the amount that I spend on it, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll mm-hmm. see. I, I hope, I hope that I keep doing this because it's been, a, it's been a huge challenge. I mean, doing this is, it's a big challenge mm-hmm. Then the production and promoting it and all that stuff. It's a big challenge. So yeah, I hope I keep doing it. Yeah. Did anybody say, you know what, Travis, you're, this isn't the, this isn't the guy I was buddies with in high school. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, honestly, I haven't talked about this with anybody, but, um, yeah, I think, I think that has happened. Yeah. I think, um, and it's been tough. It, it was kind of a, I don't see some people that before this, I used to see, you know, several times a week. And I think, uh. I think especially um, not drinking it makes some people uncomfortable, even though I have no problem being around people that are drinking. I, I enjoy it. Like, um, I do think that that made people uncomfortable. And I do think that there were some people that thought that this was too much and this wasn't the guy that I signed up for. And 
um, yeah, I think I think I probably have friendships that are now more acquaintances than than they were before. Mm-hmm. And on on the other hand, I've built I think much stronger relationships with some people that have been um, very supportive of that change. But yeah, it, it's been something that I've struggled with. I think if I have a point of like sadness about the whole change is that some of those people haven't come along for the ride and, yeah. and don't appreciate the changes as much as I'd hoped. Yeah. So what's next? I mean, you, mm-hmm. you seem to always be working on a project now that you've, you're working, you're writing for this thing. What's your next thing? Uh, my, so, uh, Chris Strand was, um, kind of the, there were two of us that ran the day-to-day operations of liquid web, myself and Chris Strand, um, and then Jer Hill. Um, but he kind of stayed out of the employee management stuff. So it was really um, Chris and I running running that side of the business. Um, so Chris Strand and I launched a new startup called My Villa, and it is our opportunity to launch a company that allows people to own a second home. So think of a house on Lake Charlevoix, but share it with eight other individuals. So kind of like when we were all growing up and we were talking to our buddies like, hey, we should buy this lake house together and you know we can share it and offset the expenses. We make that possible for people to make the dream of second home ownership um, more attainable. So instead of you having to pay all the property taxes and maintenance and go up there and take care of the lawn and everything when maybe you're only going to be there for six or eight weeks out of the entire year, we or you don't have to manage it on VRBO and worry about vacancies and all that, telling people the Wi-Fi password a million times a month. <laughs> um we handle all that and you just get to go up and enjoy the house when you're there. So that's the newest project that I'm working on is my villa. Cool. So you, you go into this with with people you know or strangers or both? Uh, so it we handle it. So you can bring people to it if you want to, but it we will handle all of it. So you won't even know the other owners. You'll just know that we take care of everything. So we find the other owners and you're just buying a one eighth share of an LLC that owns the property in that LLC. Yeah. So it's people immediately say, well, isn't that a timeshare? Well, timeshares are usually in perpetuity. So it's really hard to get out of the contracts. They usually have no true ownership of a real estate asset. And usually it's in some sort of resort property. So it's basically a hotel that anybody can go online and book also. So there's not a lot of value uh, in, in the long-term hold of it. So this is different in that it's a residential property. It's a unique property. And literally that property is held within an LLC and you own up to 50% of it if you want. When did you kick this guy? When did you kick this off? Uh, About a month ago. There you go. Yeah. Just in time for the season. (laughs) Right. Well, this has been fun. I I appreciate the fact that we got a chance to meet a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago now, but that we got a chance to do this has been good. Yeah, me too. 